0: Rosenthal is here with us this morning. Everybody say hi, Sarah. Um, I didn't mean that literally, that was fun. Um, Sarah is super nervous, but she was very willing, and I'm thankful that she's chosen to share with us this morning. I and mean, you guys know Sarah. I, I just want to take a little bit of time. You can um, kind of tell the church, I know you've been through a lot of changes in the last few years, And a lot of, most of those, I think all of those have been really, really great. Um, And I'm proud of you. I'm just thankful to know you. Sarah's coming to our church. She's kind of moved into an amazing small group. Um, She has moved into a new job. So you want to tell a little bit about kind of who you are and your journey with the Lord at this moment in your life?
1: Um, Yeah, I would say I've been through a lot of change in the last couple of years, I was looking for a church, I guess it's been two and a half, maybe close to three years ago. And, um, I had visited several churches, um, and just didn't feel like I had found where I should be, um, until I came to ICC. And I was very reluctant when I came here to um, go to a small group and, um, God's just really been faithful in that and bringing community into my life, which is what I was really looking for all along. And so that's, really awesome and I'm really thankful for that um thinking about thanksgiving like that's probably the biggest thing but um I would say that I also kind of sort of had a career change um about a year ago and I had really been kind of on my way out of education like I kind of told God like listen like <laughs> I'm not sure this is for me like I don't know if you know me but you've seen what we've been through and i had i had gone through a very like difficult um experience taking an interim position teaching and it was like just very difficult and so i came out of that and i was just i literally told god i know that's probably not something you should do but i told him like i need you to show me cuz i'm like about to hit the road and find something else and i needed to pass a test to get um, basically licensed license to teach a new subject area, and I passed the test, and that's by the grace of God, and then I found a job at, like, literally the last moment of the summer, it felt like, and God placed me in a new school and a new grade level and a new subject area, and everything was new, and it was crazy, and yeah, it was good now that it's all kind of the news worn off a little bit, but... <laughs> Still teaching, yes,
0: so that's how that happened. God won, he did okay.
1: <laughs> I should quit telling him stuff like that.
0: <laughs> uh, we love you, Sarah, so much. Uh, if you don't know Sarah already, you should get to know her. She is such a joy. Um, she's a little bit sassy, but she's a joy. <laughs> she competes with Candace for sassy spice or whatever that is. Um, so, you know, we've been talking to p- people in the church each week of this series or the last week's of this series, because it's so practical. The outworking of what God has done in our hearts has practical outworkings in our life. And this week we're talking about um, the the title of the message, Designed for Submission. And we're talking about how God calls us to places in life where we um, are called to submit to leadership and to submit to authority and to live submissive toward others. And um, even to find joy in doing that. And I know you've been through you know, some career changes and that's led you into a season where you've had to kind of work that out. You've seen some practical outworking and in really unique ways. Can you describe some of that for the church?
1: Um, I would just say last year was my first year at the school that I teach at. And um, I quickly learned that um, my boss um, tends to reprimand people publicly. And I don't really think I need to explain that in detail because my intention is in no way to, like, just, I don't know what the word is, but say negative things about her character. That's not my intention here at all. But that's just what I gathered from being there only a few weeks. And so um, she attempted to do that with me several times, like, in a public, like, in front of other teachers, not in her office. And the sass kind of came out in, like, a... Like a firm, not like disrespectful way, and it happened several times in front of people. She would try to do that to me, and I would just kind of like stand up. And I, that's though not like me. And I wasn't being like sassy, like "Oh no, you didn't." But like, <laughs> like I just had to take a breath and say to myself, "Like, you teach people how to treat you." And I know that she's my boss, so I did it in a respectful way. And I would just say, I would kind of turn it around and say. Well, I want to know the correct way to do this, or I want to know what you would like me to do, or I want to follow protocol on what, <laughs> that's a really great one, um, on, on how to handle this, you know? And so when when I turned it around and reworded it, she kind of would like go back to, oh, well, this is what you need to do. And it would always like just change her whole like body language and everything. I'm not saying like we're besties or anything, but I will say, I think it taught her that I am kind of sassy, but I respect her, you know, and so this year, our relationship, she still does the same things, but um, I've found that she can kind of, like, joke with me, and we can talk honestly about things that need to be talked about um, when I get evaluated and things like that, so that's kind of what I've experienced in my workplace
0: common experience I'm mean, but difficult um really difficult when you're in that situation what do you I mean so like one of the things the Lord teaches us is that like he calls us to submit and there are like opportunities in our submission to really reflect who he is and really kind of give a positive witness for the Lord um opportunities that we wouldn't have if we chose to kind of buck authority and resist or subvert um have you seen that to be true? I mean, have you seen opportunities through your choice to submit um that have come to you because you're following the Lord's will?
1: Um it's kind of interesting, but people who that I'm close with at work, like other um co-workers have said she likes you. And I'm like, okay, like I don't know why you think that, but she kind of does. And It's not because I, like, suck up to her. I think it's because she knows that, like, I'm a genuine person. Not perfect, but she knows, like, I care about her as a person. And I think something that I've seen is just that a lot of times she reacts the way that she does because she's been hurt. There's been a lot of things that have happened over the years, and I think that's like a defense mechanism to... Make little of someone else to make yourself kind of feel protected, and I think that's what she does. And so, just having started off the relationship with her the way that I did, I think I've had more opportunity to have like little honest, like side conversations in the hallway. Like, I've talked to her about the mission trip on I went on last summer. I'm like, you should go to Africa, and we've talked about how she's always wanted to go to Africa, and so. That was something I would have never talked to a boss about probably before this particular situation. And I think she just knows that, like, hopefully I am the way I am because of Christ. Like, I think my hope is that she sees that in me um, through the way that I talk to her. Because I've seen it be handled differently. And I don't want to handle things with her that way, if that makes sense. Because I don't think it... It doesn't accomplish anything for one, but that's not the type of, I don't know, reputation I want yeah. to have for myself. So it's been good to, like, kind of stand up in a respectful way to her and then to see her respect me back for it, I guess, is what I'm wow. saying. It's awesome.
0: I don't, I don't doubt God's using you there. I really don't, not just for the kids, but also just the, the influence you have on that staff team and on her. So, this is not an uncommon experience um, dealing We all deal with relationships, and many of us most of us are in workplace uh, where we have a, or some kind of position where we have authority over us, and a lot of times that's a struggle, and we figure out we're trying to grow is how do we relate to our leaders and um, submit to them but from your experience and some of the things you talk about, I think you have a good opportunity to speak into this as to you know what advice would you give somebody who maybe is really wanting to figure this out and grow in this even more, um, in this season of their life?
1: Um, I think I would just say to that, um, that we all are under someone else's authority. If you think about it, um, even if you're the boss, like, I feel like you answer to somebody. So that's just, that's just part of it. Like we're always going to be under authority of someone, um, in some capacity and I think that like it's just important to know that um especially in my situation I'm sure other people have experienced the same thing it doesn't really matter if I agree with what my boss says we're gonna do you know like I have to do what she wants me to do um I have to submit to her because she's my boss and trust me I don't always agree with it but that's not really the point the point is that I need to respect her and submit to her in the position of authority that she's in. And I think that the sooner you realize that you're always going to be, I think, under someone else's authority, the easier just everything will be. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I feel like even if you're the top whatever, the boss of wherever you are or company, I don't even know all the words. But um, you're going to answer to somebody for what you do. And I just look at it that way. Like, even if I disagree with her, like, there's somebody she has to answer to for what happens at our school. And I need to, to follow through with what I'm expected to do because I think that glorifies God when I do what she asks me and other people don't or refuse to or whatever might happen. So.
0: Awesome. I'll give Sarah a hand. Thank you so much. really, really grateful for you sharing this morning, Sarah, honestly. Let me pray as we open the word together. God, we do thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for days that we have to open your word together. And Lord, just to draw near to you, Lord, your promise and your word is that when we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with all of our heart. And Lord, that also you say that if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. So, God, um, we just come this morning really yearning to be with you, yearning to know who you are and to just have more of you in our life. God, I pray that you would meet us and that you would minister to us. Lord, there are a variety of needs in this room, and all of everything that we need, Lord, ultimately is to come to you and find that all that we need is in you. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would draw near to you today. Draw near to us, and that this would be a time that is just filled with your Holy Spirit as you speak to us through your living word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If um, you have not been here, we welcome you. If you're a guest, really, really glad y'all are here. We've been in the middle of a study of the book of Ephesians, and this is the next to last week. Can you believe that? This is week 11. If you've got your guides, pages 74 to 79, And our scripture this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Designed for Submission is the title. You got your Bibles or your phones or whatever else? If not, it's on the screen too. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same with them. And stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. I want to see if I can make this stop doing that thing. Um, This is a great passage. It's super practical. And regardless of who you are, you find yourself in this passage in some way. Um, Just to remind us, Ephesians is kind of in into two parts, chapters one to three, chapter four to six. We've talked about this several times and um, I don't think that I need to do much reminder other than just to tell you that in chapters four, five, and six, as we get to all of this practical instruction and practical encouragement, it comes from a place of God's speaking to us about what he's done for us in his son, Jesus, the work that he has done in giving his one and only Son, that whosoever might believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The work that he wants to do in our hearts. And that work in our hearts overflows into our life every single time. As God works on our inside, what begins to happen is our life, our behavior begins to change. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he begins teaching us the practical outworkings of what he's already done in Christ and what he's doing in Christ in our hearts here, we get to this passage in Ephesians 6, and the theme is all about submission. It's all about submission in our practical um, relationships, and I want to go ahead and give you the core truth for today. You can write it down if you've got something to write with, or you can put it in your phone, but it's this. God designed us to submit to him and to one another as a show of love and respect God designed us to submit to him and to one another as a show of love and respect <laughs> um relationships are <laughs> often one of the most troublesome parts of our life. They can be such a wonderful blessing and they can cause so much trouble. Would you agree? Um, All of us are in relationships in one form or another. And it's not surprising that as Paul gets into talking about the practical outworkings of what God does in our hearts, um, in in our daily life, he hits on this theme of relationships. And you are in relationships, everybody. You're in some kind of relationship. It might be a family relationship, it might be a dating relationship, it might be a friend relationship, or a work relationship, or a marriage relationship, or children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on it goes. We all have relationships. And God wants us to understand in our relationships how to live. He wants us to figure out what it is that he's done in our life that would kind of, and and what kind of fruit that would yield in our life as we relate to one another. And over and over and over in chapter five and chapter six, You know, last week, Will taught on, um, two weeks ago, I taught on the beginning of chapter five. And last week, Will did a great job. I was so grateful for his teaching last week. He taught on marriage and the relationship of marriage. And then here, this week, here we go again, talking about more relationships, right? In the family and in the workplace. But if you look at it, there is a a primary theme that kind of runs through. And it's it's in the title of the message today. It's submission. Submission. If you were to kind of like look at what's the real key to living in relationships in a healthy, God-honoring way, you would come back to this word in these chapters, submission. Go back to chapter five for me. And look at verse 20 and 21. It's interesting, so in this passage, remember the instruction is, do not get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Helping us understand that the purpose of our life is that we be filled with all the fullness of God. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here, notice the phrase, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you underline in your Bible, or if you're taking notes, maybe you just want to make a note about this. I know we're jumping back from two weeks, but I want you to underline this phrase. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because all the rest of chapter five, and here the beginning of chapter six, all of it is kind of built on, it's, its more practical outworking of this, this statement. What God calls us to in relationships is to live with hearts and lives of submission to one another. Submission to one another. Last week, we talked about how that works out in the home. And this week, we'll talk about how it works out with parents and with children in the workplace and relationships of authority. But it all goes back to submission. And... I'll just say, like, if you look at relationships around the, around our community and around the country and around the world today, I'm not one who's like a, I see, tend to see things with glass half full. But the reality is, you do see hints of brokenness in relationships. You do see hints of brokenness in marriages and in homes and brokenness in the workplace. And if you listen to stories and even jokes, and if you just, often in your friendships, if you're just honest about the way people talk about other people, there are signs that there is dysfunction in the hearts of men as it relates to this instruction of submission. I believe a lot of the dysfunction we see practically in our relationships is because there's dysfunction in our hearts that we really aren't living submitted toward one another as God really wants us to live. And if you would remember that God wants to work this in your heart. Then I believe as you seek to live practically in relationships and life, that you begin to see some of the, the rest of the instruction take its proper place. God wants to change your heart. Over and over and over, we come back to this. That God is not just about us conforming our behavior, but rather being transformed in our hearts. And one of the things God wants to do in your heart is to give you more and more and more of a heart of submission toward God, and toward others, heart of submission. Now, ultimately, the submission starts with God. You see there in verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of what? Out of what? Reverence for Christ. Ultimately, before you could ever begin to start to talk about submitting to others, you've got to ask yourself, am I submitted? To God Have I placed God's authority As the ultimate authority in my life Or am I still living under my own authority Do you really live Under the authority of God With your will Yielded over to God's will God is after that in your heart God wants that in your life. That in your heart, you would be yielded. You would be surrendered. You would be submitted to him. Over and over in the scriptures, we see this. Psalm 40, verse eight. I delight to do your will, God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 143, teach me to do your will, God. For you are my God. Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches us to pray. Let your kingdom come. What? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, is that a prayer you pray, God? Lord, yes, I have a lot of things that I want, but ultimately God, I want what you want in my life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, talks about that whoever does the will of God the Father in heaven, those are the ones who are his brothers and sisters. saying, you want to know what the family of God looks like? I'll tell you who are in my family. They're they're marked by this characteristic. They're submitted to the will of God. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus in the garden, remember? In his time of great trouble, when he's faced with the decision of whether to give his life up on the cross, though he was undeserving of death, He's being called by the Father to give his life up for you and for me. And he's struggling, remember. Remember in the garden, you see the struggle, you see the agony, you see the sweat, you see the tears. He says, oh God, I wish this cup would pass from me, but not my will. But what does he say? But yours be done. He's showing us the heart of the one who is truly living in the rhythm that God has designed for us. Not self-centered, not thinking what's best for me, but a heart that's always thinking, Oh God, it's not about what I want, but it's about what you want. Ultimately, Lord, may your will be done. John five, verse thirty, John seven, verse seventeen. Other instances where he teaches the same thing. And then of course you have Romans twelve, one and two. Do not be conformed to this world, but but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. So that you may prove what the will of God is. Why is God at work in your heart transforming you? So that you may come to a place of surrender to know and do the will of God. You tracking with me? Um, If I'm honest... So many of the problems in my relationships come because my relationship with God is dysfunctional. And a lot of fights that I have with Michelle, we don't have fights, we have heavy arguments. Every every relationship has tense moments where there's a disagreement, or you want something, the other person wants something else and you gotta figure out how to, anyway. I always tell this to couples in premarital counseling though, I'm looking at Hannah and Jake, hopefully you remember this, I remember telling y'all this. Often in fights, you find yourself pointing the finger, right, at the other person. You, if you just did this, if you just did this, if you just did this, and you just think, and in any of your relationships, often it's easy to think that. If it were just the other person who would change, everything would be fine. I'm fine. It's the other people who are the problem, right? You find yourself in marriage doing that, and you, you can really focus, if you're not careful, on what the other person has done or not done that's made things the way they are, and maybe those things are true, But the reality is that in all of our relationships, whether they be marriage or dating or friendships or parents or workplace, the first finger you have to look at is your own heart. Don't dare lift a finger in judgment of somebody else if you haven't evaluated your own heart first and ask, what is going on here that I'm about to attack somebody else for? Do I have a right heart in this? Have I sincerely submitted this to God? Do I believe that I'm doing his will and what I'm bringing up? often what I found in my own heart is that I'm just selfishly motivated and the reason I'm attacking is because I want something that I'm not getting, right? Or something is not easy for me and so it's easier just to attack the other person and blame them or be frustrated with them rather than to be really submitted to them and submitted to God. The first work that God calls us to in all of our relationships is a work of submission and that work starts with us submitting to God. Going to him and saying, you know what? I don't know what's best, but you do. I'm not the ultimate authority, but you are. God, I do want my way, but ultimately, Lord, I know that my way is not always the right way. Ultimately, Lord, I want your way. And I want for other people what you want, not just what I want. You're tracking? If you live with that kind of submitted heart, and it says out of reverence for Christ. In other words, this is what controls your heart. Is that you fear God. You are aware of his authority. And you know that ultimately you will answer to him. You're reverent to him. You respect him. You admire him. You love him. You appreciate him. You don't want to hurt his feelings. You have a genuine relationship with God. To where you don't want to hurt him. You want to honor him. So you start with a heart of submission. Everybody tracking with that ultimately, again, I'm telling you, circle that verse, five, verse 21, underline it, do whatever you need to do, put it on a postcard this week, tape it on your mirror, as if you do what I do sometimes, I I like putting it on my my dashboard, so that instead of seeing what speed I go, I just look at scripture, and then I have an answer for the police officers, you know, Lord, I mean, not Lord, (laughs) officer, I'm sorry, I was just too busy memorizing scripture. It's not a good answer, by the way, and it does not make Christ look great. So, um, but anyway, find a way to memorize it and seek to live with this kind of heart because that's really where it starts. But, um, ultimately we need to get to what this means for other people. We live in a world that tells us that it's all about us. Um. And especially here in the West, we have an individualistic mindset. Would y'all agree? We were in Africa this week and I'm looking at Sharice because she looks so pretty this morning. Um, And I can see your green really easy. Sharice, we were talking about this week. It's amazing in Africa, the mindset is more of a community mindset. What's best for the community? Here in America and in the West, the mindset is more about what's best for the individual. What's best for me? So we stomp on other people, like, like Black Friday. Robbie was telling me last night, he said that there was some crazy Black Friday stuff happening. And Michelle told me that Memphis ranked as one of the most dangerous Black Friday places in the country. You have more likelihood of, of facing a severe injury if you go shopping on Black Friday in Memphis than you do in other cities. <laughs> How stupid is it that you, re- you risk severe injury to go shopping? How dumb is that? But why is that? Because people will, I mean, surveys, I was watching the Today Show a few weeks ago, and it was like 50% of adults said they have no problem stepping on a child if that child was in the way of their Black Friday gift. It was crazy. They did a survey, and it was like, I can't even believe this. Like, what has our culture come to? Anyway, we have a mindset. We have a mindset of individualism. And just our selfish heart, we often just live so self-centered, where we're thinking, what's? best for me? What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? What do I want from this? And we, we don't often have the mindset of submission toward others. We want others to serve us in our interests. Other people are players in our story, not us in their story. And yet, one of the things God says here is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're not filling your life with other things, but when you're truly seeking to fill your life with God, one of the fruits of the Spirit will be thanksgiving we talked about, joy we talked about, and here, verse 21, submission toward one another. The Holy Spirit, when He begins to work in our heart, makes us people who live humbly before others and submitted before others. What does this word mean? Submission. If you look at it, A lot of times we don't break down words and really think about it, but this word you can break into two parts, right? Submission. And it comes from this very idea. Submission is simply the understanding that there's something bigger at play here than just me. There is more going on here. There is a mission, a mission that God has for me, a will that is that God has for me, a way that God has for me that is bigger than just me. And submission is learning to live in such a way every day and every decision that you recognize that there is more at play here than just what's best at me. I am less important than the bigger picture of what God is doing. See, often we like to put ourselves and our will as the most important, but submission says, no, God, your will is the most important. Your mission is the most important. What you're doing is the most important. I am under that. There's something bigger going on than just me. Sub, you're the sub part, sub, mission, the big part. Does that make sense? So the the mindset is one to constantly think that the mission is more important than myself. God's will is more important than me. Everybody tracking So that's really what's going on. Now there's two ways to um, really see this submission. And this submission carries over in all of our relationships. There's two ways that it relates to. One is order and the other is operation. Order And then secondly, operation. I'm going to define these for you. If you've got something to write it down, you can do that. Let's start with order. Order means that you recognize that there is a legitimate order of authority over you. This one's probably the simplest to understand. Understanding submission in the sense of order is recognizing that there is a legitimate authority that's over you. It literally means to be under rank. Which is a military word. Gary, you could probably speak to this. It's the way the army's organized. Levels of rank. You've got generals and colonels and majors and captains and sergeants and privates. There are levels of rank and you're obligated to submit to those, to respect those, to obey those who are of higher rank than you are. Now, It is possible that somebody in a lower rank may be a better person, may be smarter, may be more intelligent, may be more capable, may make better decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, than somebody over them in rank. But here, in terms of order, we're not talking about the character or the quality of a person. We're talking about the legitimate authority of a person based on structure, based on their rank. Salute. I think this is a common phrase, Gary. You might correct me if you're wrong. Even if you can't salute the person, you can salute the uniform. You've heard that, Gary? Yeah, salute the uniform. In other words, it's not saying that this order is necessarily speaking of how it's not an order of, like, the quality of people. It's just an order of the authority of people. To live under rank. you were in the military and you chose not to live under rank you know that you know what they would call that right mutiny <laughs> right you're not respecting the order of rank you're out you're disciplined you're charged authority is important authority is given to us by god without authority society would be in chaos so one of the aspects of submission of course is learning to live under the legitimate authority legitimate authority legitimate authority that God has placed into your life. Secondly, we can talk about it in terms of operation. Submission not only relates to order, but it also relates to operation. Operation in submission means that you recognize that you're part of a bigger unit, a bigger mission, a bigger team, like we talked about submission implies, in which every person has value. So even in Relationships where we have the authority and people are under us, submission, this call to submission still has application and implications for us. Because it recognizes that no matter what role you play on the team, your role is not to seek what's best for you, even if you have the legitimate authority to do what only you want to do, like a husband in a relationship that God set up where maybe the husband could lead very strongly and lead by force and get his way. Or a boss in a company or um, a teacher in a classroom or et cetera, et cetera. You could go on where there maybe even when you have legitimate authority and you could get your way, the call to submission affects how you operate in whatever role that you have. Such that you're not thinking just what's best for me, but rather you're thinking, you know what, I've, I'm just a small part of a bigger picture here. And I've been given this role not just for what's best for me, but ultimately for the mission that God has given to me in this. The will that God's put for me in this. That I might think in my marriage with Michelle, yeah, I could get my way, but maybe it's best not just to think about well, what I want, but what's best for our family, what's best for her in our marriage. That I am constantly operating with a, a heart that's seeking what's best for the team rather than just what's best for me. Seeing that every person has equal value. Though I might have all the authority, every person on the team has equal value. We are all the same in God's eyes. Does that make sense? So there's, there's two ways that you've got to think about it as you seek to really see God change your heart, and that is through order and authority. Now I want to look at this passage and just walk through some of the very, very practical implications of what is here. It starts really here in verse 1 through 4, talking about the relationship between children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let's just stop here and look a few things for children. So again, this heart of submission is what God is after. Submission to God, submission to others. What does this look like with your parents? Now, a lot of us are, I'd say all of us looking around. All of us are grown, we probably have grown parents if they're still living. The basic instruction with us here is to honor our parents, to honor, to obey, to submit to our parents. And there are several reasons for this. One is that they do have legitimate authority in our life. Again, this is an order thing. There is an order to the authority that God has placed in our lives. Now, granted, when we get married, when we leave the home, it says that we would leave our, there comes a time in our lives. Sorry, guys. There comes a time in our lives where we, do leave our parents, and we come out from under the authority, but we still and always have a role with our parents in honoring them and respecting them and obeying them. Why? Number one, because it is a legitimate authority. Two is because, it says because, here in verse one, obey your parents in the Lord. Even if your parents, you don't feel like are worthy to be honored or worthy to obey, you do this not necessarily for them, but you do this for the Lord. You do this because your heart is to honor God. Your heart is to please him. Your heart is to do what he wants you to do. So even if you feel like you can't honor them because they deserve your honor, maybe they've been abusive or, I just, I know because of my own experience and because of how many people I just know and hear the stories about, there are many, many times in our lives where we have been hurt by our parents. Parents can hurt us. And there are times in our life where you feel like maybe your parents are not worthy of honor or respect. Maybe they haven't done what would need to be done to deserve that. But even if you feel like they and their own person are undeserving of that, you can at least respect them and honor them because you're in the Lord. And the Lord has called you to a submitted heart. Another reason it says is that submission is right. It says, honor your father Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's commanded. It's right. This is the order that God has put in your life. In Exodus, it's one of the 10 commandments. It's one of the basic things that God says for us to do. If you can't do anything else, honor your father and mother. It's plain, plainly God's will for you. It's commanded. And it also comes with a promise. It says, this is the first commandment with the promise. It's in the promises verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Of course, this is not a guarantee that everybody who honors their parents is gonna live long, long time. I've known people who have lived very honored live honoring their parents and live very submitted lives and yet have died very premature death. But at the same time, what it is saying is that if you listen, learn to listen to your parents and learn to honor them, learn to respect them, to obey them, that in general, it will go well with you. <laughs> Things will turn out better for you. God will give you longer life as you live submitted to them. Of course, when you're a child, this looks like obedience. When you're an adult, what does it look like? really looks like care. It looks like trying to find ways not to disrespect them publicly. It looks like doing your best to call or write frequently. You might get annoyed that they may be demanding of you and they want to keep up with you maybe more than you want to talk to them. (laughs) But doing your best to keep them in the loop doing your best to show them that you appreciate them, that you respect them, you value them. Calling them occasionally and asking their opinion. I know for prideful people like me, a lot of times it's very hard and extremely humbling to like call my dad when I'm in the middle of making decisions that I really want to prove as a man that I can make and I do believe sometimes that I can make without him. But to call him, it means the world to my dad. The world. Even if I don't necessarily Don't necessarily take all of his advice. For instance, my dad really loves to to do yard work. He loves to garden. It means the world to my dad before I plant plants in the spring and in the fall to call him. Dad, I'm about to plant. What do you think I should do? I already know what I kind of want to do. What kind of plants do you think I should plant? He'll send me text pictures back of diagrams that he's drawn It's like architectural renderings, it looks like. Landscape design. (laughs) He scribbled them out on a napkin. It means the world. We were doing the parking lot here at the church. We were trying to figure out what to do. I just called him. We ended up not doing what he wanted, but it meant the world that he would be included. It means the world yesterday. I got off the plane. Here I am, an adult man. I personally don't feel like I should have to check in with my parents every time I leave or come back into the country. They still believe that I should. They do. So... Step foot into Memphis was one of the first things that I do. It takes a lot for me to do it, but I call. And I say right up front, hey, mom and dad, I can only talk two minutes. That's the first thing I say. But I wanted to call you so you could hear my voice. I'm back. It was an amazing week. Thank you all for praying for me. It means a world to them. As they get older, I pray that I would be a model. I pray that you would uh, do this too. You know, we need to care for our parents. It's not necessarily the nursing home's responsibility to do everything for our parents. But we should take responsibility to honor them and esteem them. It might mean what Michelle and her family had to do this Thanksgiving with her grandmother who is not doing well at all and she's extremely hard to move around. It takes three to four men to just lift her, to get her into the car. But they believe that they didn't want to do Thanksgiving without her and they went to great pains to get her from the home, the care home that she resides in, to sit at that family table. That's hard. And while she's there, a lot of times she's not the most pleasant to be with, and it brings the spirit down the line. But you know what? It meant the world to her, and I believe it honored the Lord. It pleased God. It's those kinds of things that in our heart we need to have, this, we need to have a heart toward our parents. God, you've given me my parents. They're legitimately authority over me. And you have called me to honor my father and my mother. And even when you're not in a position of direct obedience because you've left the house, some of you may still be in a position of obedience, but even if you're not, what are you doing in your life to honor them, to show that there's something bigger going on in your relationship with them than whether or not you just like them or enjoy talking to them all the time or enjoy trying to help them or respect them, et cetera, et cetera. There's something bigger going on. It's a reflection. The way that you treat your parents is a reflection of your heart toward God. Ultimately, you wanna show that you're submitted To God the Father, show that as you live to your earthly father and mother. Does that make sense? Second instruction is toward the parents. It says here in verse 4 Fathers, it could also say mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. A couple of things here that it says to parents. Now, again, this is not so much order but operation because parents are in a position of authority. They're the ultimate authority in the house with their kids. But in terms of operation, this call to submission has implications. A couple of things. He says, don't provoke your children. In other words, don't do things that just discourage and discourage and discourage your children. Colossians 3.21 also says this. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You can find it easy as parents. If you're parents in the room or you have a desire for children, this impl- applies to you too. To always be criticizing your kids or saying no. I find it easier sometimes to say no, tell Caroline what she can't do, get on to her for that, then speak into her life all the things that she does so well. Don't provoke your children such that they would become discouraged, but rather find ways to praise them. Another way that you don't provoke them, don't be inconsistent. Don't be unfair. Don't make promises that you cannot keep. But rather, find ways to show them that they're important. Find something that just you and your child do together. Find ways to build them up, to speak care and encouragement and support into their life even if you're not a parent now, we've got a lot of children in this church, and you're called to shepherd them and to love them in the Lord as well. What are we doing with little children? When we have positions of authority in their life, how can you encourage each child in an individual way so that they do not become discouraged and disheartened, but rather know that they're loved and important and cared for and valued? With little Caroline, do what I can, and I feel like I fail a lot because of the demands on my time, but I do what I can to take time with just her. To take her out on her walks, and she just knows, or take her to breakfast. Just little things that she knows that Daddy loves her. And yes, when I we are called to discipline and we get to that, but we're also called to love and strengthen and support and encourage. What can I do to just show her that she's important? Not only this. Um, but also to care for your children in every way. It says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, caring for them in every way. Just like Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and in favor with man, we as parents need to see that our children grow in every way, not just intellectually, but also emotionally and physically and also spiritually, relationally. That every part of their little lives are nurtured and are cared for in intimate and personal ways. This is our call as parents, to nurture them, to grow up in the Lord. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It could be easy in our day to just dump your kids onto somebody else. You know, somebody else's, the doctor's responsible for the physical well-being school is responsible for the educational well-being. The church is responsible for the spiritual well-being and blah, 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 blah. And often parents increasingly, it seems like, avoid the responsibility when their kids are misbehaving or et cetera, et cetera. They tend to blame it on somebody else. But whose responsibility is it ultimately to raise the child and nurture their child? It's the parents. The parents have to be invested physically. The parents have to be invested educationally. The parents have to be invested as intellectually the parents have to be invested relationally. the parents have to be invested spiritually. in every way our call is to give ourselves to give of ourselves for our children. Yes, you have the authority, but you use that authority to serve, to bless, to nurture your children. Discipline your children. That's another thing it says here. Bring them up in the discipline, so care for them and then bring them up in discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Proverbs says if you spare the rod you'll spoil the child. Discipline is important because in discipline, kids learn what is foolish. The discipline is not meant to be retributive, it's meant to be restorative. It's meant to be helpful. It's meant to teach kids when you do wrong, there's a consequence. Because ultimately with God, it's the same way. And our call as parents too often in our culture it seems more and more kids just do whatever they want and parents just kind of laugh it off, sit by and let them do it. Because we we, we shouldn't be so heavy handed and hard on our children. But children need discipline. They need to be put in time out. They need to be spanked, I believe. (laughs) That's controversial, but they do. I believe that. Because the Bible says that. If you spare the rod, if you spare discipline, you will spoil a child. It will not turn out well for him. Then it says change children to know the Lord and his word and in the instruction of the Lord we should nurture our children not just dump them off at Sunday school and expect that that's the one place and the only place that they'll be brought up to know the Lord but rather with our children we should be talking to them about the Lord at night with Caroline at one and a half years old she, she knows how to say the word Bible every morning every night we read the word of God with her she loves it she's grown to love time in God's word And you might think, well, that's weird. (laughs) Or she's some child prodigy. But I really believe that from a young age, we as parents need to be spending time with our children in God's word. We pray with her every night. One of the last things she says before she goes to bed is amen. Every morning when I take her to school, not every morning I take her, but all the mornings that I do, we have a morning routine. As I start to pull into Harbor town, I say, Caroline, you ready to pray for the day? I reach back my hand. She takes my hand, her little bitty fingers wrap hers around mine, and I start praying. And I pray for her day. I pray for her. Ooh, I'm getting emotional. I pray that the Lord would give her what she needs, that she would grow up to be a beautiful woman inside and out. I pray scripture over her. I pray protection over her. I pray for her teachers by name. I ask that the the people that are in class with her would love her well and nurture her just like Mama and Daddy would when they would be with her. I pray that God would protect her, that she would know the Lord in her heart. I pray that for her every day. And she sits there absolutely silently until I finish. And I know that every, not every kid will be like this. I may be fortunate just to have a girl who's calm. But I sit there, and when I finish praying, I say, amen. And she looks always, every day, she doesn't say anything. And then she says, amen. And then she starts fidgeting. She wants to go in the class, especially when I pray long prayers. She's more fidgety. <laughs> but you know what? I feel responsible, and I want to teach Caroline that we live life by prayer. We live life dependent on God. That ultimately, I am. I want to be a good dad, but her her ultimate dad, her perfect father is in heaven. I want to teach her from an early age how to live surrendered to God. We have a responsibility to teach our children the word of God and to teach them a life, lived centered on God and submitted to him and his will. And ultimately, as parents, we have to rely on God in this. We have to trust and pray because ultimately, God is the one who affects them. As parents, we do have to parent toward the heart. You're not just after good behavior. You know, so many kids go to college. They've been raised in church. They've been raised by Christian parents. And they go to college, and they completely abandon everything. And I think a lot of that is because as parents, many times, we tend to parent behavior. And children learn that if I do the right behavior, I'll please mom and dad, rather than parenting the heart. You can parent behavior and get moral behavior without necessarily getting a heart in a child that loves God. And as parents, we've got to be after parenting their heart, teaching them that the most important, all their behavior comes out of their heart. The most important thing we can do as parents is teach them to love Jesus. Amen. And finally, it says here that it's not just about family relationships, but it's also about our work relationships. In verses five through nine, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. This implies to workers, to people who are employees, to people who are are students in positions of authorities. This call to live submissive This is, again, an order thing. It applies to your workplace. A couple of important things that I just want to quickly go over with you. The basic instruction with this is submit to your leadership. Submit to your leadership, to your boss, to the authority that's in your life. Why? Number one, they have legitimate authority over you. Again, authority matters. It's given by God, and it's legitimate. Your role is to submit Within that authority, just as you submit to God. Secondly, you, in your workplace, in your in your studies, in your um, task, you are ultimately submitting to Christ. It says, submit with fear and trembling. In other words, make sure you do it and do it well, but do it with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Don't just submit to your boss thinking, oh, gosh, here we go again. Submit one more, you know, I've got to... One more time. But rather, see your boss as an agent of God in your life, calling you to learn more and more a heart of submission. As you say yes to your boss, in your heart be saying yes to Christ. Learn more and more to live according to what he wants for you, not just according to what you want for yourself. Learn humility. Learn selflessness. Learn surrender. This is an opportunity for you to have a greater heart of submission for Christ. Understand, too, that you're really doing the will of God. It says in verse 6, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering the service with the good will as to the Lord and not to man. In other words, let your motive be one of motive toward God let all that you do whether it's filling out forms, whether it's helping with a surgery whether it's treating someone in an eye clinic, whether it's pushing boxes around in a warehouse whether it's me pastoring whether it's being a judge or a student, whatever you're called to do, do it unto the Lord not to man don't be a people pleaser don't just work hard when your boss is looking at you. Don't be that kind of person that you're. You're only not on your phone or not on Facebook or not watching YouTube videos when you think that you're being watched. Don't be that person. If that's if that integrity issue, if that's something that you wouldn't do with your boss around, then you should not do it all the time. Because Christ is watching you all the time. Work hard. Be responsible. Be faithful. Be good at what you do. Put your whole heart in it. Because ultimately, you're not doing it for a paycheck. You're not doing it just so that you can be recognized for it. You're not doing it so that people will be, oh, he's such a good worker. No, you're doing it because this is a good work that God has called you to do. And you're doing it ultimately for God. So do it with all your heart. Because God's always watching. Be the kind of person, the kind of worker that you would if God himself was in your very presence. Does that make sense? All the work that we do, not just work of ministry, but all the work that we do, we can do intentionally for Christ. Trent Gash this week was with us in the clinics and he said um, one of the, we were talking about the last day what, the things that God had taught us during our week in Ivory Coast and he's in, a fourth year I student and he had been seeing patients all week. I mean we were seeing hundreds of, a day, between 100 200 a day. And he was going to Such speed, he said. I've never seen so many pages in my life. You know, it it just felt like sometimes, like it was impossible to actually get the work done. But God allows us to do it, and to do it well. But he said one of the things I learned this week. He said, you know, I came on this mission trip, and something about it being a mission trip, I did everything with the intentionality of doing it for Christ. Every patient that I saw, and I was giving glasses to, I had the mindset of, I really hope that this person can come to know the Lord. And I'm doing it in a structure because it's a mission trip, to where I'm honoring Christ with it. I, I, I started the day with a prayer, God, I want to honor Christ with how I give out glasses today. And he said, one of the things I realized was, why, did I, why don't I do that more at home? <laughs> why don't I start every day like a mission trip? And, and, and the work that I'm called to do, whether it's giving out glasses or anything else, if I have the intentionality of doing it for Christ, what he said I realized this week was, doing it for Christ allowed the fruit of the Spirit to come in all these interactions and I found myself doing things that I don't ordinarily do in the clinic and I think it's because my motive was because I was trying to do it for Christ. What if you had that motive in all that you did? Would you see more of the fruit of the spirit in your work? Do it because it's the will of God. And finally, it says that you will be rewarded by the Lord. Again, your motive, not a pay increase, but rather God sees you and God will reward you. Amen? The last words here are for those who are in authority over employees. says in verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Again, this is submission, not in terms of order, but in terms of operation. And he's saying, even though you might have the authority, uh, Mark has a big team under him. I have a big team under me. Other Nick, you've got a big team under you. There are other people in this room who have teams under them. We have positions of authority. But ultimately, we've got to realize that authority shouldn't go to our head. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, you want to know the one who's the greatest leader of all? It's the one who serves. The disciples were confused. Oh, no, Jesus, don't you get down and wash our feet? That's for the servants. And he said, don't you stop me from doing this. I'm trying to teach you a lesson here. He said, yes, I might be the greatest in this room. But you want to know the greatest in the room, what he does, how he operates? The greatest in the room the one who serves who considers that his position has been given to him not that he might have all the benefits to himself but rather that he might yield himself for the benefit of those who he leads amen masters don't provoke he says you must seek your employees welfare do the same to them as you want it done to you you want a raise make sure your people have a raise you want benefits make sure your people have benefits you want more vacation time what about your people we live in a day today where more and more and more the elite at the top of places are taking more for themselves and doing less for other people. And I'm not speaking a political agenda here. I'm just saying the word of God calls us to this. If you want to be treated in a certain way, then you make sure that those who are under your leadership are treated in the same way that you want to be treated. Everybody with me? It says here also that you must not threaten. Don't constantly make people feel like they're on the fringe of just losing everything. If you know people just live. Cowarding and fearful around you. Be encouraging. Motivate people. Incentivize them with rewards. You attract more flies with honey than vinegar. Third, you must be submitted to the Lord. Recognize that ultimately you're under authority. It says, know, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. you're not submitted to authority, you have no right to be in authority. You want to know how to get people to follow you? Let them see that your heart is for God. You want to know how I could get my team to follow me here in our church? Is that they would see in a genuine way that I'm not in it for myself, but I'm in it for the Lord, that I'm genuinely seeking God and seeking to follow God. And if they see that in me in a sincere way, I guarantee you they'll follow me. Not because I'm in a position of authority or try to coerce them or threaten them, but because they want to follow me, because I'm trying to do what is right by God and right by them. Amen? And finally it says, don't play favorites. It says, Show no favoritism. God, when he sins, when you sin, sin is punished. When you do well, it is blessed. He shows no partiality, it says in James. And we as those in authority should not play favorites. Yeah, you might could have better friends on your team than others. But make sure in terms of how you lead and with the things you do with your authority that you're not playing favorites. There needs to be no partiality with how you lead, how you discipline, how you reward your team. Well, we looked at a lot of scripture today. But all of it comes back to this concept in verse five, chapter five, verse 21. And as Robbie comes and we close. It's been a great day to be together in God's word. This is something that I'm working on. What about you? Would you say that this is something in your relationships that you're working on? Yes or no? I hope so. We're a work in progress. Ultimately, our relationship with God does not depend on how well we obey or disobey Him, it depends on what Christ has done for us. And that's the starting place. I want to just bring you back to Christ. If you're in the room today and you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to get that relationship by doing or not doing all of these practical things. The only thing you can do to be saved is to give your life to God, to receive what God has done for you. He gave his one and only son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus came for sinners. He came because we can't do it ourselves. He lived perfect life. He died sacrificially for sin. He was buried to put it away and rose three days later that we might have new life with God. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And if you don't have a relationship with God today, you can. It's not by doing more or trying harder. It's by receiving the wonderful gift of life that he gives in his son Jesus. And I pray that you know he loves you today. You can call out to him for salvation. For the rest of us who do have a relationship with God, he is at work in us to make us the people he wants us to be. In our relationships, I guarantee you this, your relationships need to be defined by this word, submission. Learning in your heart to be submitted, to live humbly before God and others. Recognizing that there is an order, a mode of operation for us. And it looks like submission. And as we do this, we learn more and more to yield our hearts to God. I wonder today, In your relationships, in your marriage, in your dating relationship, in your friendships, and especially with your parents, with your children, with your bosses, with your employers, with your team. Are you looking more out for what's best for them or for what's best for yourself? When you evaluate decisions, are you thinking about, God, what do you want? Or are you just thinking about, "Hmm, here's what I want? I challenge you today and invite you to come to God with all those relationships and to really submit them to him. Say, God, I I know you want me to honor my parents and it's really, really hard because I just don't feel like it right now. Lord, this is what you call me to. And Lord, I'm submitting to you and I want to do what's best for them. Would you teach me to honor them? Lord, my kids, I want to, raise them in a way that honors you. I want them to know you. I want to do what's best for them, but Lord, I know that I've got to submit them to you and be submitted to you even as I raise them.